Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Exodus chapter 18 this evening, if you found your place and if you're willing and able, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 18 and Lord willing, we'll make it through the entire chapter tonight. Uh, But for our scripture reading, we're going to read just verse number 19 all the way down to verse number 22. Verse number 19 down to verse number 22 just by way of our scripture reading this evening. And let me catch you up with what's happening in this passage. Moses is uh, being reunited with his family, his wife, his two sons, and then her father, whose name is Jethro. That'll probably sound very familiar to you, because you will remember early on in the passage when Moses ran away from Egypt, he ran out into the desert place, and there in Midian, he encounters these young ladies being harassed at a well. He fights off these men who are harassing them, and then he fetches the water out of the well, and he feeds their sheep. And you'll remember, we said, ladies, this is the kind of guy you're looking for, right? Someone who protects you and someone who works and provides for you. There's a great lesson to be learned there. And so Moses then enters into this relationship with Jethro, and Moses goes into business with him. And he becomes one of his top shepherds. And man, he marries his daughter, Sipporah. And they have this wonderful life. And he lives there in Midian, in the desert, as a shepherd for more than 40 years. And there, in the middle of the wilderness, while he's watching sheep for his father-in-law's company, man, that bush sets on fire. And God calls to Moses out of the bush. And he says, I've heard the cry of my people. And you're going back, and you're going to be my messenger, and you're going to deliver a message to Pharaoh that I am the Lord, and he's to let my people go. Remember that story? And all of that's taking place early on. And then, man, Moses goes into Egypt, and it's almost as if Zipporah, man, she kind of goes off the scene. Jethro goes off the scene. The sons, both sons, they kind of go off the scene. And the scene focuses on what God is doing in the, the heart of Moses, through the words of Moses, as he stands in front of Pharaoh, let my people go. And you remember the plagues? They cross the Red Sea. Man, they praise, they rejoice. And do you remember the pattern that we see? They, 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 the plagues happen, they grumble. Then, then God delivers them. And then God spares them from his wrath. And then they grumble. And then God spares them from their, his wrath. And then they grumble. And then God spares them from their wrath. And then they grumble. And then this is, the, this is the, the ebb and the flow that happens through the rest of the chapter, right? Remember the battle ha- took place in Exodus 17? Michael covered that for us while I was away. And now we are in Exodus 18. Jethro is returning. There is this reunion of sorts that takes place in the first several verses of this chapter. Then Jethro goes to work with Moses. He says, I want to know what you're doing. What's, what's taking place? And this, all this happens. The people are coming. They're standing in front of Moses. They're reporting to Moses. Moses is hearing all the cases. Moses is judge, jury, and execution, executioner for all the cases that take place in Israel. And then you have now Jethro's advice. Verse number 19 down to verse number 22. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel. 
And those, those dreaded words, right? Let me give you some advice, right? How many have ever heard that before, right? Let me give you some advice, right? And here's some, here's some unsought advice, like the being delivered from Jethro to Moses. Let me, uh, and I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee, and be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them the ordinances and the laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. And moreover, thou shalt provide out of all of the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter that they shall bring unto thee but every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. Man, aren't you thankful for the times in your life that God has brought people across your path who have bore the burden with you? They entered into the struggle with you. They sat at the hospital with you. They, they, went to, they went and got coffee late at night and listened to you. Aren't you thankful for the people that God brings across your path who bear the burden with you? Several things this evening about being that kind of person, several things about having those kind of people, and several things in several ways, practical instruction about how you and I can be those burden bearers for the individuals that God has placed into our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Use it in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Verse 2, verse 3 recounts how Moses interacts with his father-in-law Jethro. At some point, we're not exactly for sure on the specifics because the Bible isn't pointed out, but at some point, Moses had taken his wife Zipporah and his children and he dropped them off at her hometown and she stayed with Jethro for a little while. And now you see Jethro returning and, and meeting back up with Moses because of all that he has heard that the Lord has done with Moses. Look at verse number 1 of chapter number 18. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses. Man, when he heard about the way that God had showed himself strong, when he heard about the way that God was using Moses and Aaron in the hearts and lives of the children of Israel, when he heard the way that God had delivered uh, the children of Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh, man, that's when he shows up. And now you see in verse number 6, and he, that's Jethro, and Jethro said unto Moses, I thy father-in-law Jethro am come unto thee and thy wife 
and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to his father-in-law, did obeisance and kiss him. And they asked of each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. Look at verse number eight. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced in all the goodness which the Lord hath done unto Israel. And isn't this the goal? Man, the goal is that we would share our story with people, that we would give them our testimony, that we would recount the good things that God has done in and throughout our lives, and that those who hear our story might rejoice for the goodness which the Lord has done. Man, that they might rejoice hearing about all the good things that God has done for us. So they have this time of recounting and, resh and sharing of, of, of all that's taken place in Moses' life, but also in Jethro's life. They have this time of rejoicing. And I think it's very interesting in verse number 8, where it specifies that Moses shares all the travail. Right? That's, that's our word for trouble. Moses shares even the difficulties, the, the, the hard times, the, 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 the struggle, man, the, 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 the suffering. Moses shares that with him as well. He doesn't hold anything back. He, does, he doesn't pull back and set aside the hard stuff. He doesn't leave out the difficulties. And hear me on this. Sometimes the reason we don't have someone in our life who is helping to bear our burden Sometimes the reason we don't have those people in our life is because we aren't very good at opening up and telling people about the struggles that we're having. And sometimes all the devil is trying to do is to isolate us. And all, he, all he's trying to do is, man, move us over, separate us from the herd, because if he can get us over by ourselves, if he can get us isolated, if he can remove us from those who are in our lives to help us, man, it's there that he can pounce on us. And here's what's happening. Moses is, man, he's bearing his soul. He's opening up his heart. Jethro has basically said, tell me about how things are going. And Moses says, things are going good. God has delivered us. God's arm was strong for us, but it was not without some difficulty. And Moses is being very transparent, and he's making himself very vulnerable. And sometimes the reason why people are distant in our life is because we struggle with transparency. We struggle with vulnerability. We struggle with opening ourselves up and telling someone else about the struggle or the hard time or the difficulty that we are going through. Hear me on this. All of us need help from somebody somewhere along the way. Everyone does. You need those kind of people in your life. I need those kind of people in my life. All of us at different seasons and in different times of our life need someone who comes along beside of us who we can feel comfortable, where we can feel open, where we can even make ourselves vulnerable and say, listen, God has been good, but it has been hard. God has been good, yes, 
But it has been hard, and that's what Moses does here. Hey, let me ask you, this is a very personal question, just right to it, right out of the gate. Who is that person for you? And who is that person, man, that you, you can confide in? Who is that person that you can rest in? Who is that person that you can be vulnerable with, that you can be open with? You know, who is that person? And it's certainly true, it can't be everybody in the room, but it has to be somebody. It has to be somebody. It's certainly true that we don't want to be that person who is like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. And we're just going around, and there's a little cloud over our heads everywhere we go, and oh, life is just so bad, right? And no one wants to be that person. That's true. Man, but there are times in our lives where we need people who we can confide in, where we can open up to, where we can, man, we can tell them our struggle, and they'll listen, and we'll listen to theirs. Who is that person for you? You say, Pastor, I don't have anybody like that. Well, let me, let me tell you where to start. I would start with people in this room, perhaps in front or even behind you. And I'm going to tell you how you don't, this, this is not how you do this. You don't walk up to somebody and go, can I tell you all my troubles? If you begin the conversation that way, you are, you're going to sit all by yourself. You'll notice Dwight over here on the side sitting all by himself. That I, no one's around him. You're going to sit all by yourself in church. Hey, can I tell you all my troubles? And everybody's going to be like, ah, God bless your brother, but I don't think so, right? You know, that's not how we engage that conversation, right? Hey, listen, we, when we, we don't set out looking for a friend, we set out trying to be a friend. And if you set out being a friend, you will in return find a friend. Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, said, man, man he that hath friends must show himself friendly. Man, the person who has friends has set out not to find friends, but has set out to be a friend, has tried to be this in someone else's life, and because you were being this in someone else's life, guess what you received in return? You received the same thing in return. Man, here's Moses and Jethro. They have this great relationship. There's this openness. There's this transparency. Moses then goes about his work, and that's really what takes place in the following verses, look down with me in verse, um, look down with me, verse number 13. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he, Moses, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses did to the people, he said, so Jethro is now saying this. What is this thing that thou doest to the people? And why sittest thou thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a matter, they come to me. And I judge between one and another. And I do make them to know the statutes of God and the laws. Look at, look at, his, uh, look at his take on this. Verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Okay, so I want you to think about this. There are one to two million people in Israel at this time. And Moses is the judge, jury, and executioner for every situation that these people encountered. And they're all coming to Moses and asking Moses to help them determine and decide what was right or what was wrong. 
And you imagine the complaints. He ripped my tent. He stole my cow. He took some of my manna. His son was flirting with my daughter. He's, he's hogging my space in the, his ox gored my sheep. All these things. And Moses is sitting and he's listening and he's judging and he's ruling over it all. And Jethro says, this is not a good thing to do. This is, this is not a good thing to do. Here's, here's what you need. You need to find, and I love this in verse number 21, you need to find some able men who fear God, who love the truth, who hate covetousness, and you to place them over. Rulers of thousands, rulers of a hundred, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And basically, amazingly, Jethro gives Moses this advice to basically set up a judicial system that is absolutely no different looking than the judicial system that we have in place even in our country today. So, so what do we see here? We see five lessons. Five lessons to learn. Number one. Number one. Good leaders show respect to others. Good leaders show respect to others. You think about this, Moses, Moses is in charge of upwards of a million plus, maybe two million people, and he is not too big to treat his family right. Moses is in charge of millions of people, and he is not such a big deal that he does not know how to treat his family with respect. He goes out, he greets Jethro, he welcomes Jeff, Jethro, he shows deference to Jethro, he respects him, and he even allows Jethro, his father-in-law, to counsel him, and he even listens to the counsel that his father-in-law gives him. Moses understands how to fit the web of all these different relationships, especially the relationships in his family, and how to fit them into his life. You know, oftentimes when someone gets some power or some privilege or some prestige, they feel like everyone around them ought to be subservient to them. And this is not the, this is not the approach that, Mo, that, Je, that Moses has. He, he's not lord over Jethro. He does not say, you are the priest of Midian, but I am the prophet to Israel. You are a sheep company owner, but I am the deliverer of the children of Israel from Egypt. I mean, you might have fought off some vagabonds and some pirates in the middle of the desert, but I fought off the greatest army in the known world and defeated Pharaoh. So you know what, Jethro, I appreciate your ideas, but let, let the big boys handle the big stuff and you go back down and you deal with your stuff, right? He doesn't have that spirit. Moses has a spirit where it shows respect to his elders. And, and I, I want every young adult and I want every boy or girl to look right here at me right now on this point. I want your eyeballs, all the kids. If, if you're a kid, you're a teenager, I want you to stand up. Let's do that. Let's make sure we get your attention on pastor for just a moment. Stand up. All the teenagers, all the boys and girls, I want you to stand up and I want you to look right here at me. Let's see. All the boys and girls, I'm making sure they're all standing up. Moms and dads, you help me. You wake them up if they're asleep, all right? And you want you to look right here at Pastor just for a second. Look here. 
Look right here. You see, this is the kind of thing that in our day and age, it kind of falls on deaf ears. Because we don't live in a culture or in a time where it is culturally acceptable and correct to show respect to your elders. And while our culture does not teach that, God's Word teaches that. It is right and good and becoming of Christian young adults and boys and girls to respect their elders, to honor their parents, and to obey the authorities that God has placed in your life. Everybody say, yes, sir, pastor. You didn't say that very heartedly. You said it like this. So let's try that again. Let's say, yes, sir, pastor. I was a little bit better, not much, but I'm going to count it because Trovi really carried the day on that one, all right? Hey, look here at me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, but this is right. And honor thy father and thy mother, and it shall be well with you that thou mayest live long on the earth, I, now, now listen, I know you're 14 and you think you've made it. I get it. You turned 14 and all of a sudden, you hit the magical age of knowing everything. But let me assure you of something. You do not know everything. And God gave you a mom and a dad. And God gave you authorities. And God gave you a youth pastor and a youth pastor's wife and God gave you church leaders and God gave you Sunday school teachers and God gave you school teachers and coaches and God gave you wonderful godly influences who want it to go well for you. You say, well, pastor, you don't know my parents. They don't want it to go well. They want it to go terrible. Believe it or not, your parents do not go to conferences and get material on how to make your life bad. It's not, it's not like, how can we make our children's life miserable? That's not how, they, no parent goes to any conference like that. They want it to go well for you. If you have a godly parent, if you have a godly grandmother or mother, if you have a godly authority figure in your life, if you, and you do, if you have a godly influencer in your life, hear me on this, show them the respect they deserve. Let me, help you, let me help you understand how you can show respect to godly authority figures in your life. Number one, when they're talking, you don't. Number two, when you see them across the room, go shake their hand and use your words to talk to them. It's, I, know it's, I know it's scary, but you can do it. I know you think that that elderly saint, like she's just going to just rip your head off if you say hi to her, but she won't. I promise you. You will make her day. You will make her day. When someone does something for you, you say thank you. 
When someone does something for you, you say thank you. If you see someone coming down the hallway and it's a narrow space, you move over to the side and you let the older, elder person go first. You hold the door open and you show them respect as they're coming behind you. If you see someone in a wheelchair or with a walker and they're trying to get out, you go and you open the door and you let them go out. You say, but pastor, I really wanted to go play on the playground. I know, the playground is awesome and I love to play on it too. But you can hold the door for 10 seconds as that person goes through and you will make their day and you will show them the respect they deserve. Look at me. You hear me, boys and girls? Moses is a man who is the ruler of millions of people, and he is not such a big deal that he cannot show respect to his elders. He is not such a big deal that he cannot show respect to whom respect is due. The people who you sh should show respect to and show honor to, I mean, these are our parents, godly influences, godly grandmothers or grandfathers. Man, these pastors, teachers, leaders, Sunday school teachers, coaches, man, uh, deacons in the church, showing them the respect that they deserve. And I get the rest of the world says, you don't need to, you just go be your own person and do your own thing. But God in his word says, this is what you should do. And if you do, the promise is, it will go well with you. It will go well with you. You did very good. You may be seated. But you may not go to sleep. Respect is not based on whether you think this person deserves your respect. We don't give respect to somebody because we think they deserve it or because we think they earned it. We show respect based on the position that God has given to this or that individual. This was happening here. And Moses is far more successful than Jethro. Moses is far more accomplished than Jethro. Moses has done far more with his life than Jethro. And yet, Moses is showing respect. Moses is showing honor to. Think about David in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 26, where he spares Saul's life again. Because David knew that God had appointed Saul and David knew that God had appointed him and even though Saul was out to murder him and even though David had the perfect opportunity and even though people around David were encouraging him to kill Saul and take what was rightfully his, David refused and said, it is not a good thing that I should touch the Lord's anointed. It is not a good thing for me to go against an authority figure that God has placed in my life. And now all the adults hear me on this point too. As this is not just for boys and girls. God has appointed authority figures in our lives just the same. 
And it is not a good thing for us to pull out our swords and our daggers and throw criticisms and indictments and angry words and grumbling complaints toward the authorities that God has put in our lives. It does not go well when we use our words to slice down the authority figures that we bring ourselves under. And we sit and we criticize the pastor and then we wonder why our children criticize us. Where do you think they learned it? They learned it from us. That's who they learned it from. So we should guard what we say and we should guard who we say it about and we should be certain to show respect and honor to these men and women and godly authority figures that God has placed in and around our lives. Respect and honor and showing respect and honor has nothing to do with whether you think that person has done everything you think they should do. It has nothing to do with whether you had disagreed or didn't disagree. You had agreed or disagreed with that person. You can still show respect and you can still show honor and you can disagree without being disagreeable. You can show respect and you can show honor without slandering and attacking and belittling and making fun of and cutting down to size. You can still show respect and honor without it being that. Which is what we should strive for in and through our lives. I got five points I got to get through and that was number one, all right? You, if you keep getting me sidetracked, this sermon's going to go long. Number two. Good leaders testify to God's good work. You notice when Moses gets an opportunity to share everything that's been happening in his life, when Moses gives this personal testimony about everything that's been done, notice the focus is not on Moses. Like, I want you to play this out. How would we have told this story? Jethro! You should have seen me. I mean, I walked right into Pharaoh's room and I just looked at him and I put my finger in his face and I said, Pharaoh, and then I cleared my throat. <clears throat> you better let my people go. And then I took my rod and I threw it on the ground. It turned into a snake. And man, I was, oh, I was awesome. You should have seen me. I was so awesome. Moses doesn't do that. Moses doesn't go, oh, Jethro, you should have seen me. I stood up there on the rock, and I took the staff, and I hung it out over the water, and as soon as I did the water, and I just stood there, and the wind was coming in my face, and I was looking very Charleston Heston-like, and I was just holding that there, and I was taking a selfie, and it was amazing. There's absolutely nothing about what Moses did. Do you know why? Because Moses understands he is not the hero of the story. I always, get, I always get nervous around people who are there, who are the hero of every story that they tell. You know what I mean? It's, every story they tell is about how they were awesome and everybody else wasn't. How they did something and no one else did. 
how they were amazing and no one else was. No, no, no. A good leader, a godly person, is someone who bears witness to the work that God and God alone has done. Good leaders do not obsess over making sure that everything they have done gets known. Do you know what I did? Do you know what I said? Do you know where I went? Do you know how I was? Do you know all that I accomplished? Good leaders do not obsess over that. And what I found is people who obsess in being the hero of every story that they tell are prone to exaggerate the stories. This is what we have to do because we're actually not as awesome as we think we were. You remember what they say, like, like the farther you get away from that said event, the more awesome you were in that event. Like you talk to some people, they were, the, they were the most unbelievable athletic all-star in high school, and then you go back and look, and they actually sat the bench, and they scored negative three points. But if you ask them, they will tell you they scored all the points, they were the best athlete, and they were amazing. This is not the way it really was. It's just been about 50 years of just being the hero of every story now in this building. And in their mind, you don't even know what was true or false. You're just used to telling the story and making yourself the hero. And every time you tell it, you have to exaggerate it a little bit more. So we obsess about being the hero that leads us to being prone to exaggerate what actually happened, which then walks us into telling a lie, doesn't it? Because if it didn't actually happen and you said it did, and that's not true. Man, we got to be careful of making sure that the words of our mouth witness to the good work God has done and not witness to how you and I are so awesome. Any good thing that happens in our life is not a result of our awesome parenting or of our awesome husbanding or of our awesome creativity, of our awesome pastoring. No, any good work that happens in our life is a result of the grace of God Almighty. And we should strive for the stories of our lives to be, let me tell you what God did, not what I did. Let me tell you what God did, how he delivered us out of the hand of Pharaoh. Good leaders witness, testify to God's good work. Letter number three, good leaders change when necessary. I, I, Moses, here, Jethro says, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? Why are you listening to every case? And I love that Moses doesn't make an excuse. He goes, this is not a good thing. This is plain and simple. This is not a good thing. And Moses says, well, I, nobody taught me how to do it any different. And nobody, nobody told me how to do it better. I mean, this is the model that was already in place. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm simply learning from the model that Pharaoh had when he was in Egypt, and I learned in my Egyptian training and schooling. I mean, this is the way they handle it, so this is the way that I, he doesn't use any excuse. He just says, here's what I've done. And, and Jethro responds, this is not a good thing. And then Moses actually makes the change. The change is actually a good thing, even though sometimes we think change is a bad thing. If somebody walks up to you and they go, oh my, you've changed. Immediately, you're going to no, I didn't. But if somebody walks up to you and go, man, you have changed, you're going to like, yes, I did. And change is one of those things. 
where sometimes we think it's a good thing and sometimes we think it's a bad thing. And in this situation, it's actually a good thing. Why? Because the thing that needed to be changed was crushing Moses. He is not able to perform this. He needed help in chapter 17 because he was tired and he couldn't hold his arms up any longer. And now he needs help again because he has to sit all day, listen to all the things, make all the rulings, make all the changes, do all the work. And here is Jethro. And Je watch me on this. I love this because Moses is not self-righteous. Moses could have been like, yeah, well, I'll pray about that Jethro and I'll see if that's what God wants me to do. But this is, this is absolutely not spiritual decision. This is just, you're going to wear yourself out. The people are getting frustrated. It would probably be better for you if you didn't have to make every decision and you found some able-bodied godly men who feared the Lord and loved truth and hated covetousness, who couldn't be bought with a bribe and who were men of integrity. It would probably be a good thing if you brought them along and then they could make the smaller decisions and you can make the larger. And Moses just goes, bing, light bulb. That sounds like a good idea. Because I'm all about a day off. That's what happens here. Good leaders know when change is necessary. And good leaders embrace change when it's available. This happens to just be really good advice. But, but let me ask you this. When is the last time you have said something like, you know what? That is a really good idea. Let's try it your way. That, that's, that's what Moses does. Moses goes, Moses, here's Jethro's advice. He hears Jethro's counsel. He's here, he hears the way Jethro wants to do it. And he goes, huh, that sounds like really good advice. Let's try it your way. You, just so you know, you, me, None of us have all the best ideas. We don't. You, you might have one or two mediocre ideas. You might have one or two decent ideas. You might have one or two good ideas. But you have about 17,000 bad ideas. And so do I. I tell our guys all the time, I say, listen, just because it's my idea doesn't mean we have to do it. Just because it's my idea, if it's a bad idea, listen, it's your job to look at me and go, Pastor, God bless you, but that's a bad idea. And we love you, but I don't think we should do that. You know, we don't have to have all the good ideas. Every now and then, it's a good thing to go, you know what? That sounds like a good way to do it. Let's try it your way. Let's try it their way. Let's try it your way. Next one. Le good leaders learn to delegate. Good leaders learn to delegate. Here's, here's, here's the advice. Find men who can, look at verse 21, who can be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. Okay, so, so we're, getting a, we're getting a biblical principle. There are some people who are really good at ruling over ten. There are some people who are really good at ruling over fifty. There are some people who are really good at ruling over a hundred. And there are some people who are really good at ruling over a thousand. To, the, to some, the Lord gave one talent. To some, the Lord gave two talents. And to some, the Lord gave five talents. Who the Lord gives the talents to, the opportunities, the abilities to, that's up to the Lord. It's our responsibility to steward the, the talents and the abilities that God has given 
to us. And what a good leader does is a good leader learns to delegate. I love this on Moses. I love how Moses actually isn't really hesitant about this idea at all. I love that he doesn't even show, like, he's slowing down. He's just like, that's a good idea. Let's go do it right now. You know, and if you kind of read the text, you think it happens, like, just this fast, right? But he, he, he puts the plan right into place. And Moses understands he is not indispensable. We all tend to think that we are indispensable. Well, if you didn't have me, you'd be in a whole lot of trouble. And I've told you this before. If I kick over dead tomorrow, and trust me, I don't want to, okay? But if I did die tomorrow, guess what? We're going to have church on Sunday. And I just hope that they put my picture up on the screen. That's it. Like, I hope they put my picture like, this guy used to be the pastor, but he died. Now, let's move on. None of us are indispensable. We all like to think we're more important than what we really are. Hey, Moses here doesn't have this spirit. Moses does not have this spirit like, I am the center of the world. And if I'm not making every decision, well then... <laughs> I mean, how, how are they going to get along? I mean, I guess we'll let this guy make decisions, but he's probably going to make terrible decisions. No, he doesn't say that. He finds a capable man who loves God, discerns truth, a man of integrity, can't be bought with a bride, hates covetousness. And Moses says, this is a good, God-fearing man of integrity, someone that I would trust. He is capable of making a decision. Let's let him make a decision. I'm thankful for men like this in my life. I spent time yesterday in our deacons meeting. As a church, we have some wonderful men who serve as deacons. These men serve in this way. We sat yesterday, after the meeting was over, two, two of the men stayed later. We sat and we talked and both men communicated, Pastor, we want to make sure that you're doing okay. We want to make sure your wife's doing okay. We want to make sure we're taking care of you. We want to make sure your needs are being met. What do you need? What can we do? How can we help? How can we serve you? In what way can we help you? Don't worry about that. What if we handled this situation for you? And pastor, we're here to support you. And we want to make sure that everything we're doing is in line with the, with the priorities that you would have for us as our pastor. It was literally what they told me. And we have good godly men who serve us as a church in that way. Men who love God, men who love the truth, men who, who hate covetousness, can't be bought with a bribe, and men who are full of integrity. And we are blessed as a church to have men like this. And these men don't walk around here going, I'm a deacon. I'm a deacon, everybody. I'm a deacon. I'm so important. You know how you know if they're a deacon? They're serving you. Deacons serve in the choir. Our deacons serve on the bus routes. Our deacons lead the, uh, the, 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 the sign language ministry. Our deacons lead the choir ministry. Our deacons lead the, the, the mission side. I love all the work that Brother Julio and Miss Norma have done for missions conference. That's a blessing to me that I don't have to sit here and fret over all the details of missions conference. I can go, it's a good godly man who loves the Lord, who can't be bought with a bribe, a man who walks in integrity. Let's give them the responsibility and let's let them handle it. And men who care, the men who teach our, our boys and girls, men who teach our Sunday school class. It was a blessing to watch Brother Dorasami this morning step right out of the aisleway, and he almost went step for step with the fellow who made his way forward to accept Jesus as a Savior. And they met each other right here. And Brother Dorasami took him over to the side and led him to the Lord. 
These are men who are ready to serve. They're ready. They fear God. They love the truth. They discern. Men of integrity. Men who hate covetousness. They can be bought with a bribe. This is the kind of men we need. This is, this is the stuff that good men are made of. Good leaders learn to delegate. Last one. Good leaders find other good leaders and they let them lead. And I mean to say they let them lead. Good leaders find other good leaders and they let them lead. Listen to, listen to the category. These men should be able. These men should fear God. These men should be trustworthy. And these men should hate a bribe. They aren't, they aren't just in this thing to get something out of it. And what's their relationship? What's their relationship to the task at hand? Are they, able to do the job? Do, are they able to do the job? Are they capable of doing the job? Are they smart? Are they wise? Are they, do they have common sense in, 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 in learning how to relate to other people? Do they have good people skills? Can they show respect? Can they show honor? Can they just engage? Or is it always fighting? Is it always drama? I'm so thankful God has given us men who, and there's no drama. And no, listen, here's the rule. No drama to your mama, all right? I have four kids. I have all the drama I want. I'm not looking for any more drama. And God has given us a group of men, and we sit in the room. Yesterday morning, we go down a list of needs in, of, the, of our congregants, and they're saying, Pastor, pray for this guy. Pray for this person in my Sunday school class. Pray for this individual. Pray for this member. And we spend time praying together, and we're saying, man, we're here to serve. We're here to help. We're not trying to get something out of this. We're trying to serve. Are we capable, smart, intelligent, wise men? God has given us men like that, not just on our deacon board, but God has given us men like that on our staff. Men like Michael and Derek and Juan and Raphael. Men who love God, who fear the Lord, who are capable, who are able. Men who can make and handle themselves and make great wise decisions. This is, we're blessed in this way as a church. But we need more of that. What's their relationship to people? What's their relationship to God? Do they fear God? Or do they just love the praise of men? Are these men who love God, they fear God, they go after God, they're in pursuit of God? Or are they men who just crave the acceptance and the applause of people around them? They want position for position's sake. Or are they just looking to be a servant? Listen, set out to be a servant and you'll be elevated to a position of leadership. Set out to be a leader and you'll never be a leader. Look at their relationship toward each other. Are they trustworthy? Look what he says, men of truth. I mean, are they actually good for their word? Are they actually men of integrity? If they say they're going to do something, do they actually do it? This is a great qualifier. This is a wonderful list that Jethro gives Moses. What's their relationship toward money? Do they hate a bribe? Do they love money? Because that's the root of all evil. Or do they just want to be wise stewards? Man, doing all we can while we can with what God has given to us. It's much easier. It's much easier to learn a skill 
than to have to develop an entirely new self. It's, it's much easier to go, listen, in, in your heart, all you care about is money. This is going to corrupt the way you see and do everything. And money is a tool for us to be able to serve God and serve others. That's it. And in the end, guess what? All the money we have stays here and burns up. But you can lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And you can send it on ahead. I don't believe that these are just great things to look for when you're looking for godly leaders in the church. I believe these are great things to look for when you're looking for employees, employers, governors, presidents, senators, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives. These are some great things to look for. Is, is, that, is that the kind of person this person is? Is this, is this the kind of character that they possess? The skills, they come and go. There's always room for improvement, sure. And Moses is a good, godly leader. Why? Yeah, because he allowed these things to permeate through him as he led God's people. Oh, that God would let me be that kind of leader. Oh, that God would let me have that same kind of spirit. How many of you like me say, Pastor, that's the kind of spirit I'd love to have too. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that you would use your word in our hearts and lives. Father, thank you for the lessons and leadership from this man named Moses. But Father, we, we ask that we would have these same kind of lessons applied in our hearts and lives. God, I thank you for every man or woman in this church who serves you in a way that Moses served the people of Israel. Thank you for the good godly leadership you've given us. And I pray that you would, Father, help our leadership to keep their eyes on you. May they fear you more than they fear anything else. May they pursue you. May they love righteousness and truth. May they be men and women of integrity. May you keep them pure and clean and right. May they be trustworthy. May they make you the hero of their life story, not themselves. May they show respect to the people in their lives. May they honor all those who they interact with. May we have good people skills. May we learn to hate covetousness. And may the love of money not corrupt our hearts. And God, would you use us for your namesake to do more than we ever even hoped or dreamed was possible. You take Moses from this frustrated, tired leader to a man who is renewed in life. You're going to walk him up a mountain in just a few chapters and you're going to deliver unto him the law of God. The very word of God. And Moses is free to deliver to the people of God because he was surrounded by good, godly men of God. Oh, may this be the case at First Baptist. May this be the case in our hearts and lives.